finding that balance by working with the seven factors of, of awakening and you know, finding a balance so we can stay really engaged with our experience in order you know, to, for example, really uh, becoming aware of impermanence, beginnings and endings and what's in between in order to really become aware of that we really need to stay in complete contact with our experience and then, you know, if we are noticing a holding on or a, a turning away or dialing out or all those different ways, you know, which reactions which can arise in relationship to our experience, noticing that and then you know, making that also part of what we are aware of and, you know, keeping on cultivating that complete contact with our experience and then being taught by that. Experience teaches us if we really can pay attention to it. And at the same time, you know, have no particular agenda about the outcome. So that balance, you know, between uh, uh, being powerfully hope-free, but at the same time being really interested in our experience, and that's not easy to find that balance, you know, and this is not only, you know, a way of relating to our experience in the meditation, but also in general in life, you know, being really engaged, but at the same time being free of hope, how it's gonna need to be in order to be, you know, right. So that, that middle way between being fully engaged and at the same time, you know, not having an agenda or being conscious if we do have an agenda and, and keeping that, you know, in check as well. So that combination of uh, hope-free and equanimous and at the same time interested and really with, fully with our experience. And I've brought a poem by his name is Mark Nepo or Nepo, I'm not quite sure how one, if you have heard about him, he's an American poet. Do some of you know him? Hmm? Uh, it's just a part of that poem, I find it really very powerful because it really expresses that way of uh, being with one's experience. And he says, <coughs> having laughed enough and lost enough I'm no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk for a while, but then we must listen. The way rocks listen to the sea. So, you know, becoming uh, a landing place, you know, where real things can land, which means, you know, keeping the mind open and really allowing things to take their course, but in a conscious way. And then, you know, all of those uh, difficulties, they, those irritations, they become wisdom and compassion through that process, you know, if we really can stay with it without any preconceived ideas how it should be. 
it, it becomes like a, you know, a crucible for an alchemical process, really, out of which, you know, the gold of wisdom and compassion arises through really staying with it and keeping an interest while at the same time also keeping an openness. And uh, <coughs> the most important quality is that, you know, the listening, the really staying in complete contact with our experience. And uh, in the way he says, you know, like the way rocks listen to the sea. They are just there and they're allowing, you know, to just, they are, over time they are changed by the sea. But at the same time also they are, you know, they are there and they are feeling the impact. And that feelingness, you know, is, is a source of all kinds of different emotions and all different kind of reactions within the body and mind, but at the same time, that capacity to feel is also our, you know, our capacity to to be changed by, through that feelingness. And uh, the Dhamma also is sometimes, you know, called as the Dhamma is for for one who feels, because it's exactly that, that you know, the feeling, pleasant feeling and unpleasant feeling. That's, you know, where we get challenged a lot because all experiences, you know, have some repercussions in terms of feeling which we are experiencing in the mind. And usually, you know, if there's unpleasant feeling, we, we try to turn away from it. And if there's pleasant feeling, we try to have more of it or we try to hold on to it. And that is the constant dance, you know, of uh, trying to manipulate life, you know, to have less of this, but to have more of that, and getting really tangled up in that. But we can make that conscious, you know, because we are sentient beings, and sentient beings feel, and we are not the only sentient beings, we are human beings, and there's also animals, they also feel, and I think, you know, plants and other creatures, they also have a capacity to be impacted by the environment. And you know, there were times in, in history when human beings thought that animals can't feel and then of course that is not so. And then even nowadays, you know, one knows that plants, for example, you know, that if you blast them with loud music they're going to turn away from that and they're going to really thrive in beautiful music. So they also you know, are really impacted by pleasant and unpleasant experience. And to just really become conscious of that process, you know, how often we are under the influence of that and, and not even knowing, you know, how, how uh, easily we are swayed by the lure, you know, of pleasant feeling and how easily we are kind of upset and uh, influenced by unpleasant feeling. And to just really become conscious of that and, you know, create more resilience and more spaciousness around the feeling and allowing it to be what it is because it is certainly 
impermanent, you know, allowing that impermanence to take care of it. We don't need to push it away because we can just allow it to be there and then allow it to change. And through that process, you know, gaining more and more confidence, yes, your impermanence, it's really happening. You know, I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to make the feeling go away. If I can just be with it, it will change. And then there are some feelings, you know, where we do need to take uh, maybe a, you know, aspirin or something if you have a headache. It's sometimes it's skillful, you know, to consciously take action, but not for any little thing, you know. We have gotten so used to having comfort that in that pursuit we have, you know, managed to completely upset the climate and uh, the environment and we are creating actually much more discomfort in the constant uh, pursuit of comfort. Because, you know, our level of resilience has become so kind of small, you know, that we are so dependent on so many conveniences, which in the end, you know, turn out to be extremely inconvenient now. So to really see, you know, the great uh, importance of being able to handle unpleasant feeling, not just, you know, in order to get through a difficult seat or, you know, whatever, having a headache, but just on a, on a big level also, you know, as a, as a species, that constant seeking for pleasure and the constant seeking for comfort is, you know, we have run into a wall really with that. It's not going to work out that way. We have, I think, you know, at least here in the so-called West, you know, we have really Finally, I think more and more people getting, getting that message, you know, especially people who come to gatherings like this, that there's something not adding up, you know, with the promise of uh, consumerism and capitalism and all of that. It hasn't really delivered the promises because it cannot be, because you cannot live in a world without unpleasant feeling that doesn't work. So it's so much more empowering, really, to turn around and and uh, you know make friends with that part of life because there is no way to escape that. And I think this poem speaks very much about it. And uh, you know, having laughed enough and lost enough, I'm no longer searching, just opening. So having been, you know, trying to find the perfect this and the perfect that, and then at one point, you know, just giving up because it's just not, it might be even the perfect one for a few days or minutes or hours, but then it's changing again. And just, you know, trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. You know, having that stability and maturity to allow things to land in the way they are landing and learning from that. And then at the same time, you know, these irritations that rub into a pearl, and I think that's the seven factors of awakening, you know, are 
those uh, irritations if we use them to train the mind and to wake up to what's really happening, you know. It's it's not a giving up, but it's a, it's a waking up to the truth of the way things are. And uh, that's the pearl, you know, or that's the seven jewels which we receive in return, you know, for complete contact and real interest in our experience. And uh, I've brought a, a very short uh, sutta, you know, from the Samyutta Nikaya, which is one of the four uh, books in the canon, and it's the Samyutta Nikaya 3586, and it's called the Dhamma in Brief. Ananda. Ananda is like that he was the, the I think the cousin of the Buddha and he was his attendant for many, many years. And Ananda said to the Blessed One, which is the Buddha, Venerable Sir, it would be good if the Blessed One would teach me the Dhamma in brief, so that having heard the Dhamma from the Blessed One, I might dwell alone, withdrawn, diligent, ardent and resolute. That's how it's often you know, spoken about in the suttas. And then the Buddha says, What do you think, Ananda? Is the eye permanent or impermanent? And then the Ananda says, Impermanent, Venerable Sir. So and that's the essence of the sutta, you know, that really paying attention to the impermanence of all things is liberating. But it has to be, you know, like a, a constant interest and a constant being in touch with that impermanence in action, you know, in, in all situations of our lives. That it starts to really sink in and then it starts to change us, you know, it rubs into that pearl through really being with it, you know, in all kinds of manners of things, you know, sitting here and, you know, hearing the sound outside and feeling, I'm coming here to meditate with some noise and blah, 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 and then, okay, it's gone. You know, and seeing those, seeing impermanence in actions like a million times, you know, those small things and big things. And then, you know, the day comes where it's always or immediate there, you know, whenever there's any kind of experience and any sense of grasping, at the same time, we remember it's impermanent. And then, you know, our life takes on a different quality because there is no longer that, that sense of uh, desperation about having to control everything. And there's an increasing, you know, faith in, in the Dharma, the Dharma taking care of things. And we don't have to constantly assert ourselves, you know, in the midst of all of this. But we can allow it to be what it is. And that's, you know, a, a sense of, you know, being in the world but not being of it. I think it's spoken about in many traditions, you know, that uh, being fully in it but that, and at the same time knowing 
something you know which is hidden underneath the surface which is not immediately uh, accessible but through practice it becomes accessible because we are sensitizing our minds you know those seven factors of enlightenment we are training our minds in those seven factors and then the mind can you know be in contact with uh, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral experience and at the same time knowing this is impermanent this is unstable this is a, not something you know to be depended upon and then a sense of you know of freedom comes out of that because we can still enjoy or we can still you know have emotional reactions but we don't fully you know buy into it anymore because there's a deeper knowing about the truth of the way things are and that becomes more and more readily available you know it starts to permeate all of our experiences and uh, then you know there's a sense of increasing easefulness with with life as it is however difficult it might be sometimes you know so then there's a capacity you know to fully engage but at the same time not depending on a certain outcome and i think you know that's that's a very important way of uh, engaging especially in this day and age you know there's a lot of uncertainty how things going to turn out you know we have set in motion a lot of processes which are you know beyond our control really and it is important you know to stay engaged and to do what we can and at the same time keep an open mind we don't know how it's gonna pan all out you know and so you know not giving up but waking up to what's happening and what's always true is that whatever it is we can learn from it you know that's we and this is what we can take with us you know if we're going to all go down in a hand basket i think people say you know in a year or in 30 years you know whatever we learn in that process we can take with us you know and that's the good news because that is you know the those uh, qualities which we are cultivating in our minds you know they're not going to go away when we die and so whatever however difficult it might become you know and for in some parts of the planet it already is extremely difficult you know those qualities which we are training ourselves in through really fully being with our experience and responding you know in a spacious way those qualities they will not be lost you know even if everything else is lost and i i take a lot of solace from that way of thinking you know because it's uh you know the situation we find ourselves in is we have co-created it you know with all together as a ignorant species you know which is a very immature and young 
compared with many other life forms on this planet, you know, but we just got very powerful because of uh, our, you know, having a knack for technology and uh, building crazy things, you know, which are getting out of hand and and losing uh, ourselves in that, uh, you know, dream. And now we are starting, you know, more and more to wake up to it. And But we still need to live with the repercussions of what we have set in motion. But we can learn from it. And, you know, the qualities which we can uh, cultivate they will stay with us, even, you know, if the body drops away, but the mind will retain the qualities which we are cultivating. And in this book, you know, which I've brought, which has just come out on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of our monastery, there's on the first page is that quote from the... from the... Um, Dvedavidaka Sutta, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. That's really very, very important. That's, you know, a very important statement to really put oneself, you know, on the mirror in your bathroom where you see every day. That's really very important if we really can heed just that advice, you know, in combination with, uh, you know, that everything is impermanent and not permanent. Those two things together, they are actually, you know, expressing the essence of of the practice. And uh, and you know, and training ourselves in those seven factors of enlightenment gives us more and more capacity to really understand those statements, you know, that everything is impermanent, not permanent. It's a very simple sentence. But in order to really take that in what that means, you know, we have to kind of sensitize ourselves, our minds, you know, which are pretty coarse, you know, from being, you know, not trained well enough. But through meditation we can train ourselves through taking the precepts and also renouncing to a certain extent. We are training our capacity to really understand what those statements mean, you know, and then really in the meditation really see it, see it in action, in permanence. And really see, you know, how our minds, that we have have a choice in which way we want to encourage the mind to go. We have we have a choice there. And uh, you know and sometimes we can become, you know, quite kind of uh, dull about all of it, you know, because we are living a busy life and we're having so many things to take care of and then, you know, we don't wanna work hard in the in our free time, so to say. You know, we just wanna go and have a, a nice, interesting Dhamma talk and, and a relaxed meditation and then, you know, get ready for Monday and things like that, you know. 
So, I mean, you know, that's better than doing many other things we could do, you know, unskillful things, but it's not enough for waking up to really seriously wake up to this, what's happening, you know. And, uh, and you know, seeing, seeing the climate crisis, the emergency, you know, which is building up more and more, really seeing that as an external display, you know, of what we have been thinking about as a species for thousands of years, you know, what we've been doing, at least, you know, since like the, say, since the 17th century, you know, with adding so much more energy to the atmosphere and changing, changing the climate to an extent that we are now threatened by it, and many other species also. So that's a very clear, you know, um, mirror, I think, powerful mirror. And we all can, you know, turn towards it or turn away from it. And I think, you know, it's much more sane to have to turn towards it. Any experience will lead liberation lead to liberation, you know, because any experience has, uh, or any phenomenon has liberation as its core, because any phenomenon whatsoever displays impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and uh, emptiness, because there are the three characteristics, you know, which we can see and we can find and we can see in action in all phenomena, whatever it is, you know, this cup, or my body, or planet Earth, or the music outside, or the sunshine, they all are impermanent, unstable, unsatisfactory, and empty of a self, you know. So, they can teach us about this, provided, you know, we take an interest, provided we, we stop, we are you know, bringing up some mindfulness, taking some interest, putting in some energy, and so on, you know, those seven factors of enlightenment, of awakening. Waking up to it, rather than kind of, you know, giving into the sense of overwhelm or, you know, just getting, uh, getting tired about it and just turning away from it. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunity for, for waking up because, you know, we can't really go anywhere. We can't escape that one because there is really no, no planet B, really. Even there's some, a few people who think they can escape to Mars or some crazy ideas like that, but this is not, you know, not possible, of course. So I think, you know, now we are really uh, forced to look and uh, it's actually ama an amazing uh, time to be alive and uh, to be conscious of, of that. 
because there's still quite a few people who are not, you know, but I think people who tend to come to places like this, I think you are mostly, you know, conscious of that, what's happening. And what a tremendous time that is. So, you know the word apocalypse, I think apocalypse you say in English, I think, you know, apocalypse, you know, it means to unveil, to uncover. And, you know, we are, that's what's happening, you know, maybe not in a kind of fast way, at least in this part of the world, you know, but it's, it's steadily, you know, uncovering a lot of stories, you know, which have all not been able to hold its promise, you know. They have, they're all like empty dreams, you know, which are not working out. And that's, you know, a lot of our conditioning is like this. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's an amazing time to live at a time when, when a, 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 an old worldview is breaking down, you know, and no longer able to hold together. And the new hasn't really fully, you know, kind of settled in yet. And this is the, the, the time, you know, when we can really be very much in touch with that uncertainty of what's going to be next, you know. And I think it's a very potent time, you know, for for practice. Because ideally I would always be in that contact with uncertainty, but you know, in times when there's a lot at stake, it's kind of easier, you know, because it's much more real. So you know, there's a blessing also in, in all of this, you know, and, and the word blessing comes from the same root as the, the French word blessure, which means wound, you know, it's through that, that wound, it, it holds a blessing because it's through the wound that something new, you know, can, can enter. And, uh, and in our case, you know, as a civilization, it, it's through that the truth of, uh, the unsustainability of our ways of living, you know, we are we are forced to to allow new ways of of living to be born, you know, because the old ways are no longer possible, and more and more people are realizing that. So it's a, it's a really powerful time and. And the practice is, is a great support in times like this. Because that's really the only thing which can help. Because it's, it's portable, you know, and it's, uh, it's not very difficult. You know, the, the, 
principles of the practice that you know, staying open to our experience, really being in, in contact with our experience, making space for it, and uh, you know, really allowing ourselves to be changed by our experience. Having laughed enough and lost enough, I'm no longer searching, just opening. So, you know, having laughed enough and lost enough, that kind of uh, maturing, you know, which, which comes out of that. And then, you know, no longer searching for some permanent fix, you know, outside from ourselves. But just, you know, just opening and allowing ourselves, you know, to be changed by what's happening. by, you know, trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. And the pearl is, you know, one way of, of defining the pearl is those seven factors of enlightenment, which are the path, you know, the cultivation of those seven factors. They are the path and they are at the same time also the culmination of the path. Mindfulness, interest or investigation of dhammas, energy, joy, stillness or tranquility, stability or concentration or focus, collectedness of mind and equanimity. These are the seven jewels, the seven factors of enlightenment, which, uh, you know, all the practices in the canon, they are all different ways of uh, training those seven factors, you know, bringing them to ever more kind of perfection or strength and uh, more and more capacity to really uh, live in that way, you know, to bring those seven factors to whatever is happening in our lives, inside and outside. And then, you know, we have much more, you know, capacity also to, you know, to be able to live in a time, you know, when there is, you know, there's no, we can no longer live with the dream of like having a materially better future in the future, you know, which was a way of living. We all have been born into that paradigm, you know, that if we just work hard enough and, um, and you know, and do enough and study enough, then in the future we're gonna be having a bigger, this and a bigger that than our parents had and all of these ideas, you know. It's not like that anymore. It's a very different way of being in the world. So, you know, to really kind of allow that to sink in and then think what, what does, you know, what is it, what really matters to me? Is it really that I need to have a bigger this or a bigger that or is there 
actually something else behind all of this. And then it can be surprising, you know, what really comes up, because it's actually not that bad, you know, to step out of that treadmill. It's just a kind of bit sad, and it had to go so we had to go so far into overkill kind of of consumerism to wake up to that. So you know, training our capacity for those seven factors of enlightenment that you know gives us a, like a sensitivity of mind and and a um, clarity of mind, so that we can. Uh, better see, you know, what is what, really, and what is worth, you know, putting our energy in and what we can just kind of drop it, really. Because it's a dead-end road. So, you know, waking up is not the same as giving up. And uh, you know, those seven factors of enlightenment are the real jewels of our lives, you know. If we focus on that, there's is really something we can take with us, even if you know the body drops dead, those seven factors will stay with us. They are the real tools, you know, to invest our energy in. So I think that's all what I wanted to share. And uh, just reading the poem one more time, or the part of the poem. Having laughed, laughed enough, and not laughed, but laughed, having laughed enough and lost enough. I'm no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk for a while, but then we must listen. The way rocks listen to the sea. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.